reading is from 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and to testify it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, City Church Eastside, and to everyone online that can't say good morning back. Also, welcome. Um, I love every time that we read scripture, we can say, thanks be to God, because we can be thankful that God loves us enough to give us his word, so we can know him more and love him more. It's awesome. Every time. It gets me. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, my name is Matt Ruloff. So if we haven't met, I would love to meet you. Uh, we're finishing this series of Advent Light darkness, uh, from darkness into light, and this Sunday we're ending the series in what Christian calendar calls Epiphany, it's actually January 6th, but the idea that joy has come to the world, we've celebrated Christmas, Christ has come, now we celebrate that. If you're like me, if you're like a lot of people, you tend to make, maybe not New Year's resolutions, but maybe like, ah, I want to do this better this year, I want to do this, and you're filled with hope. But a lot of us, even looking at this half-empty room, aren't here in person, have felt not hope the past couple weeks, have felt despair, have not been able to see family. Uh, it's been a hard couple years, but gotten through it. And then another variant of Delta, and then Omicron, and then feels like, man, this is just a lot. I don't think I'm even the A preacher or the B preacher. I'm, I'm the C least, <laughs> and I'm here preaching. And so, I don't know if y'all have seen Lord of the Rings. I know it's uh, quoted a lot, PCA circles, reform circles. There's a, there's a part in Lord of the Rings. Jackie and I watched all three of them, by the way, during Christmas break, and we got really into them again. Jackie's finishing The Return of the King, reading it, and it's amazing. I'm just being like, oh, man, this is, like, way better than I remembered. So good. One part I was really struck by, um, feeling kind of just really sad and feeling the weight of, even uh, COVID and a lot of other things during the holidays, um, was this time in Fellowship of the Ring, if you're familiar with it, they're in the mines of Moria, and they're getting away, they're getting away from these, uh, these goblins, these orcs going to try to kill them, and Gandalf falls, this huge Balrog, this mythical creature, gets his whip, and Gandalf's like, ah, oh, fly, you fools. And then he, then he actually falls. And what happens in the next few minutes, it's like beautiful, like elvish singing, but it's actually really sad. They go to this elvish forest called Lothlorien, and they're met there with this lament. And it's like, oh no, Gandalf died. Like Gandalf was close to the elves. And for the Fellowship of the Ring, they're trying to destroy this ring, go to Mordor and destroy it. This is really sad news. And they're super bummed about it. And Aragorn, the hobbits, uh, Bomir, they're recounting to each other what Galadriel, this elf, who's really wise, 
has told them. And Bomir says this to Aragorn. She said that even now, after seeing this future of Gondor maybe going and burning, um, even now there's hope left. And this is what I felt before, and probably you felt too, is Bomir's response, what he tells Aragorn. But I can't see it. It's been a long, it's been so long since we've had any hope. Friends, the good news of today that we're about to explore in 1 John is that we can have hope. We can have surety, assurance of salvation. And even through these really hard times, COVID and everything else, we have a solid hope that brings us joy. Today I want to see in uh, three points who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and finally, what that means for us. So what? First of all, who is Jesus? Let's look at verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning. I'm going to stop myself right there. That which was from the beginning. This is John writing again. And Scott, a few weeks ago, preached on John 1, the prologue, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's doing a very similar thing here. That which was from the beginning. The Old Testament reading, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. These first few words I don't want you to miss. This is huge. John's writing 50 years after the ascension of Christ, but he's saying, it's not just 50 years ago. That which was from the beginning. Okay, we'll move on. Got excited about the beginning and eternal stuff. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which we've actually touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. John uses another description of Christ. Word of life. Keep going. He says a different way. Verse 2, the life. There's the word of life and the life. Was made manifest. And again, we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to the to you, the eternal life. So Christ is called, first of all, that which was from the beginning. He's been there before the beginning of time. And he's been the word of life, the life, and now the eternal life. Who is with the Father and made manifest to us. Okay, we're going to stop right there. This first point, who Jesus is, is incredibly important. Not only to the people back then that was receiving this message from John, but to us today. Looking at God and his eternality, it's a pretty big deal that he would come down to earth. But what does it mean to have eternal life? Jesus has called this, but he actually gives us a few hints in John's Gospel. Um, and at the end of 1 John. So he talks about the very first few verses of 1 John, and at the very end of 1 John 5. So 1 John 5.20 says this. It says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So this is a big deal. John's beginning with this. He's ending with this. In his gospel, he says something very similar. Jesus is talking to the Father before he goes to the cross. It's called the high priestly prayer. Um, 
for all you theological nerds out there. It's in John 17. You you might be familiar. Verse 3 says this. Jesus is talking to God. He said, this is eternal life that they know you. The only true God is Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is huge. Jesus is eternal. He's eternal life. That's actually how we get eternal life, is Jesus. This is amazing. This isn't on the slides, but Hebrews, the author of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, if you're like me, you need to be reminded of that truth. 2021 was different than 2020. 2022 is going to be different than last year. And we don't know what that's going to hold. But thankfully, we do know who's in control. Who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? That should be comforting news for us. Comforting news for a people that might have church canceled one week. And then we're on the next week, but everyone's got to wear masks. And then the next week, who knows? It might be comforting for those of you who are at home who are sick with COVID and can't come with us today or who couldn't see family over the holidays. To know that our Savior is the same, and he's kind, and he loves us, and he's not just the same yesterday and today, but in the future, he has us, and he holds us. That's encouraging. This is also a point of, if God's eternal, and he, he's the big deal, okay, Jesus is God, he's the, he's the life, he's the word of life, he's eternal life, that means that we are not. A perfect example of someone who thought he was the king, the eternal life. History buffs might know it. Louis the Fourteenth. People called him uh, the Sun King. He liked to be called that himself. He's the one. He's this French king who said he was. Uh, he was famous for saying, "I am the state." Pretty much. Okay, yeah. Give me all the power. Gonna have it my way. Um, so you can kind of expect how his character was. He was a little bit egotistical. Anyway, his court was the most magnificent in Europe. It was shiny, it was dazzling. And so in death, when he died, you can imagine, probably the same. And it's kind of ridiculous, kind of funny. He was buried in a solid gold casket. And so for his service, the cathedral, it was dimly lit, and thousands of people came, and people are anticipating this bishop who's going to give this great eulogy about this great man. He called himself Louis the Great. All about him. And there's this candle. That's just burning on the end um, of the casket. And as everyone's waiting on the edge of their seat for this bishop to say this eulogy, this great man, he simply puts his finger and goes to the casket and snuffs out the candlelight and says, Only God is great. That's the whole message. Only God is great. Friends, only God is eternal. Only Jesus is great to come down and be incarnate with us, to be fully God, fully man. But if you're like me, and you're like Louis XIV, you kind of make life about yourself sometimes. And that's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus, he forgives us for when we do that. I want to dwell on that message, but I also want to go to our second point, what Jesus has done. We've already, I've already pointed, alluded to it. 
He became flesh. He became a baby. This, this Advent series, we've, we probably talk about this more than regular times because looking forward to the birth of Christ, we talk about he actually was a physical baby. He had to be changed and he had to be fed. And he cried. And he had to learn um, language. He had to learn Hebrew. He had to learn how to talk. But what did he do for us? Besides leaving the riches of heaven to come down to earth, he lived for us. Theologians say there's an active and passive obedience. And that being said, it's not only, well, he was born and then he died. He actually lived for us 33 years. Go to um, verse 1 through 3. And I want, you, I want everyone to just try for a minute to listen to the verbs. This is a little teachy. I'm not an English teacher or anything. But listen to the verbs of what John is communicating. Um, I'll read it again. So verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon. He said seen. He's, he's trying to make a point by re- repetition. We've touched with our hands the word of life. Verse 2. The life was made manifest. We have seen it. Now we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, which was made manifest to us. Also in verse 3 he says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. At first reading, Marcia did a great job, but it's like a huge run-on sentence, and so you kind of have to pay attention. He's repeating himself. What's John doing? What's his focus? What's his point? What's he trying to say? He's at least saying this, that Jesus is eternal, he's God. But he's also saying he took on flesh. And it's only 50 years later that there would have been eyewitnesses who have actually seen him, who have actually touched him, who have actually heard him. This is important also because there's a theology of the body here, that Jesus, he's not just a spirit. There were a couple of heresies going around the day. One was uh, Docetism, which said that the body is actually not important. So they believe Jesus came, but he was a spirit. And that actually affects how you live your life if you don't believe that the body is real and important. It actually is a really big deal that Jesus came and took on flesh and was a baby and lived for 33 years. And we know this. If you're feeling happy, um, if you're feeling joyful, you can feel that in your body. You can feel like life. If you go on a run, you're like, oh, man, this is great. Or if you haven't run in a long time, you're like, oh, man, this is bad. <laughs> but if you feel that depression or anxiety, too, you can feel, like, heavy. I don't know if you've ever had your heart actually, like, ache and feel like, oh, my gosh, I can't stand not being with this person. Or I really miss this person who's passed away, who's close to me. You feel that in your body. And what John is being careful to say to people that might say, hey, the body's not important, he's actually saying, this is important. The body is important. It's not a soul with a body. It's God has created our soul and our body. It's extremely important. This is why some of you all for Christmas meals or New Year's Eve meals, you got really excited. Because there was steak, or there was pork tenderloin, or there was turkey, or ham. And you could, for probably hours, depending on where you were in the house, if you are in the kitchen, smell 
smells of meat and bread, and you're having a good time, and you experience, you smell and taste, smell and taste, and then you get to fully engage your senses. I don't think it's accidental that in the Bible, throughout the Bible, there's feasts, and it is going to end with a feast as well. And I'll stop talking about the theology of the body, but I just wanted to make sure everyone knew that. John was making sure that people weren't getting distracted by different heresies about the body, but today the body is important. And it's important that Jesus took on flesh, took on a body. What does this mean for us, though? I was reflecting, okay, what does this mean that Jesus came? He's not here anymore. We'll go to John um, 20 and Thomas the Doubter, talk about that. But a quick application of this is if if we're supposed to believe that Jesus came and loved and served, and he healed people, he healed the blind, he healed the deaf, he healed the lame, I got to thinking, I think loving our neighbor isn't just having good theology and saying, well, I guess I can pray for neighbor. That's included. That's amazing. I think we get this from the example of Jesus, that we're supposed to love incarnationally. What I mean by that is practically speaking, to interact with our neighbor, to engage with them, to cook them meals. Um, That might be a simple application, but I think that's, you can get that from the text. Especially when uh, John's talking about the fellowship, he goes both vertical and horizontal. He's saying, here's why we proclaim this, here's why we testify about this, which those words in the Greek, it would have been something like, uh, not just like, oh, I have to tell my neighbor it's water cooler. Think of like trumpets. This is like, hey, we're proclaiming. This is a big deal, what Jesus has done. Incredible. And so there's the vertical aspect of like, okay, Jesus comes, so we now have fellowship with him and the Father. But John is outward focused. In these only four verses, he's outward focused. He looks and says, now I proclaim this to you, what Jesus has done. So that's an amazing point of application, I think. We've seen who Jesus is. He's eternal. He's God. He took on flesh. His body was important. He actually came for us. What does he say? I'm going to give the whole uh, exchange, actually. Uh, John 17, 1 through 5. I read verse 3 for us earlier. I want us to hear what he says to his father about why he's come and what he did. So when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. Interesting that he mentions flesh here. It's important. To give eternal life to whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is what we were talking about, not just dying. This is before he died but his years of ministry, of being faithful, not succumbing to sin, of healing people, yes, but also spreading the good news of repentance. That as much as you have messed up, that Jesus is there to forgive you if you turn to him. In verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Again, going back to eternality. So this is what he's done. And I don't think this is on the slides, but it actually might be. 
But I want to go to John 20. Sometimes the best illustrations are the ones that are already in the Bible, and it's amazing. And I love that. And so if you're like me, you might be like, "Ah, well, Jesus isn't here. I can't physically touch him right now, so good point, but not really. And I I want to go to Thomas. What, What does he say? Right? He's one of the 12. He's called the twin. Um, I don't think this is on the slides, but this is John 20, verse 25. Other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas wasn't there. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I'll never believe. Then verse 26, uh, verse 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. Doors are locked. Jesus comes in. That's amazing how he did that. We'll not go off that rabbit trail. Jesus came in. He stood among them. He says, peace be with you. And he says to Thomas, as if he already knows, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There's a lot here, a lot going on here, but I want to just tease out a couple things. First, again, the importance of the body. Jesus is resurrected. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't resurrect uh, from the dead, then we as Christians have no hope, and people should say we're pretty silly. Actually, he did resurrect. He had a physical body, and Thomas was, he was in denial because he didn't see him the first time, but then... When he saw Jesus and saw his physical body, he knew. But at the end, Jesus kind of rebukes him gently. He's like, yeah, blessed are you because you saw me and you felt me. Blessed are those who can't do that and still believe. So while it's important that Jesus had a body, he's not here on earth. Uh, He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. We have his Holy Spirit here following Jesus right now. It is important that blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And yet, for these people that were doubting 50 years later after Jesus come and were questioning, hey, is this even a big deal that happened like 50 years ago? John's saying, there's still people here that have seen him. He was historical. And now he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. It's a big deal that he's eternal and he's God and that he could be touched and that he could be heard. It's important. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean that Jesus is the life? He came in flesh and that we get a chance for eternal life. First of all, I think that means joy. And that means fellowship. Fellowship fellowship with the Father, fellowship with Him, and we have joy. I want to tease this out a little bit. We'll go back to verses 3 and 4. So verse 3 says this again. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. We'll get to proclaim and testify again so that you may too have fellowship with us. And this is the horizontal. They already, John is speaking with his um, apostolic authority. Him and the apostles, they've already seen Jesus and been around him. They have fellowship. But now he's saying, indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. But verse 4 is kind of telling as well. If you're like Bomir, if you're like me, who's been in despair, or it's been hard to hope, or it's been a hard season where you've just been exhausted, it's good news that John is writing these things in verse 4, so that our joy may be complete. Jesus brings us joy. And he actually talks to the disciples about this too. I'm going to cheat again and go back to the Gospel of John. 
First John and John, it's the same author, so he says a lot of the same things in different ways. In John 15, Jesus is saying this. It's uh, verse 10 and 11. Um, I don't think this is actually on the slides. But he says, if you, he's talking to the disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept you, Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What John's saying in the gospel, what Jesus has said, and what he's saying now in 1 John, is that it's all about Jesus. <laughs> Look to Jesus for your joy to be complete. And yet again, there is this outward focus of, he's telling people that might not know Jesus, I want to tell you these things. I'm writing you. I'm writing these things so that our joy might be complete. There's an element of the Great Commission when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations and tell everyone, and people need to hear the good news, that if we're Christians and we're not telling the good news, uh, in a sense, it, it seems, if we're like John, that our joy wouldn't be complete if, it, if we just keep it to ourselves. So there's an evangelism aspect to this that's really interesting. I think of... Uh, I think I've used this before, but I just keep on thinking. My, one of the most joyous days of my life was when I got married. And Jackie and I, pretty much Jackie, did all the wedding planning. But for months, it's waiting, right? For the guy, it's like, hey, you want this ring? Awesome. We're ready to get married. And for the girls, like, well, we got to plan a wedding, right? And so for months, it's uh, anticipating what's going to happen. It's not just long distance dating. It's not long distance uh, engagement. It's going to be a huge party. And so, uh, even after meeting with DJ Sean that week of, making sure the playlist was right, um, making sure that uh, the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, they knew all the details, finally comes to be a time when we're joined as one and everyone gets to celebrate and dance with us. And it's awesome. And when I think about this joy, it's like, yeah, we wanted to invite however many, like many of the venue could hold, Right? And as Christians, if we have this joy that Jesus gives us because what he's done for us, because of who he is, we get to invite people into that. We get to say, hey, there's a wedding feast at the end of the Bible that you're invited to. But not just a joy for the future, like, eh, here's fire insurance. There's a joy right now that we have to have. Because Jesus is faithful and kind to give his life away for us. And friends, if it feels like that's uh, too good to be true to have joy in this hard season, I'd say it probably seems like you're hearing me right or listening at least. But this is a reality that we can have joy. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And as Mike mentioned the other week, it's not you only get one of the fruits if you're a Christian. You get all of them. And friends, I invite you to take part in having joy in this is hard time. Even when you mess it up, even when you've been selfish with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your roommates, even when you've made, like Louis the Fourteenth, life all about yourself and wanting to elevate yourself, there's a joy in come, that comes from repenting and looking to the Lord to see his eternality, to see his kindness, to see how he took on flesh for us. Paul says this in Philippians. This won't be on the slides, but he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I want to end with just thinking about 
okay, if Jesus has done this for us, if he's given us joy, we're supposed to look outward, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant. Invite them to the party. Invite them in on the joy. What does that look like practically? Maybe invite them over for dinner. Maybe invite them over to church. I'm sure if, if those of you who are not Christians who are here or are watching might be saying, man, I haven't, that hasn't been my experience with Christians. Maybe it has. Maybe it has at City Church and you've been welcomed. That'd be a huge blessing. But for those of us who are Christians, that's an awesome uh, goal to strive for, to give other people joy that we've received because Jesus has given us joy. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are God, that you are man, that you came to live among us, that you came to be um, surrounded by brokenness, surrounded by sin. Yet you left the riches of heaven to be with us, to live for us, to serve us, to heal us, to heal our bodies, but also, Lord, to save us from sin and darkness. Thank you for what you've done, Jesus, for us on the cross. Thank you that you are real and that you're resurrected and that you have a body. Lord, thank you that we get to experience um, the good gifts of your body through food and drink and through hanging out with people. I pray that we would be ones to spread your joy. Thank you that you've given us joy. Help us look outward, give other people joy. Other Christians and those, Lord, who might not know you, that would be a huge blessing if we could be conduits of your joy. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Uh, now is a time when we get to confession, and once a month we actually confess what we believe. And um, as I was thinking about Matt's sermon on Jesus is eternal, and he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, um, that could be very academic or that could be very personal. Um, but as we do the Nicene Creed, which was adopted early 300s, so 1,700 years, um, I find this is the basis for joy. And it can feel very academic and very kind of theological. But really, the words in the Nicene Creed are the motivation by which we are able to put into action uh, the love that Jesus shared by loving our neighbor, loving God, um, and doing it as a community, right? One church, not just here, but across the world, every Sunday morning, being united by what we believe. And so this is the motivation for our joy. So let's read this together uh, with that in mind as we confess what we believe. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. That is the joy that... Um, we were talking about in First John chapter 1. Uh, a couple more things. We are not going to do communion this Sunday morning. Um, we um, would want to have a teaching elder here, and so we're going to skip that part. And as we go to a time of offering, because of COVID, I think we're going to not pass the baskets around. 
But I do want to spend a minute and first say thank you. Many of you have given online, so we appreciate that. And many of you gave one-time gifts at the end of the year. But there's also this, remember I said we're into QR codes? If you zap this QR code that's in uh, the seat pocket in front of you, there's actually an easy way to give there if this is something that you haven't done regularly. Um, but as we play the music, I don't want to skip this part, um, that offering is giving of our treasure, our money, but also our time and talent. So let us reflect on the electronic transmission that may have happened in the last week where you gave or the year-end gift or what you're planning to do in 2022 to tithe your time, treasure, and your talent um, because of the joy that's been given to us, our response is that. So we're going to play that music for a few minutes, um, reflect on it, reflect on the sermon, and then we will lead with our, um, with our closing music.